0: Now, you can't change your past, but you can determine your destiny by deciding for Christ. But Christ can change your past. He died on the cross so that all the sins you've ever committed, all the things you've ever done wrong, are forgiven. What do you have to do? You have to repent of your sins. That means to be willing to change your way of living. You may have no power to do it, You may not have power to give up some of those habits you know are wrong. You may not have power to fall in love with your wife again. You may not have power to change your whole life that you know needs to be changed. But if you surrender to Christ, he'll give you the power. You say, well, Billy, I don't know what else to do. I've been baptized. I joined the church and so forth. But I don't really have peace and joy and power in my life, all that you're talking about. How do I get it? jesus christ said i am the way come to christ he will give you a new strength and a new power and a new joy and a new peace and a purpose for living every person.
1: And welcome to another episode of G220 Radio. This is Ricky Gantz along with Mike Miller. And this is episode number 504. We are at episode number 504. And today, if you did not already re- uh, recognize or know, we are going to be talking about Billy Graham. Mike, how are we doing? Doing pretty good. Kind of recovering from last week's episode. It's a lot to do.
2: man. But the dude
1: the 1689 and... <laughs> Well, I I did listen to it um, through uh, the week, and uh, I thought you did a really good job by yourself uh, holding it down. Um, I think there were some really good good things that I kind of missed being on there because I wanted to uh, dig into that with you especially that part, because we see it all the time. So many people like, I can be a Christian. I don't have to go to church. You know, I can. Mm-hmm. You don't have to belong or become a, a be a member of a church, a, a productive member of a church. And so uh, we believe that's vitally important here at G220 Radio. We understand that sometimes there are circumstances, situations that uh, don't always work out the way you would want them to, but you should be seeking to find a good biblical church to be a part of. And uh, I think you did a good job on that so last week. Brother. I do want to go on the
2: record. Ricky did have a reasonable excuse not to be on the show last week. So let's just, it was was all in joking fun. Although part of it kind of even pertains to what we'll talk about here with Billy Graham and some of, um, I know, concerns that I have with some of his crusades about kind of the aftermath of them and dealing with the local church. And maybe I don't know if we'll discuss it or not, but these are, you know, concerns to be discussed and to think about as we shape our
1: own ministries in life. Yeah, for sure. Uh, And as you heard, we played a little clip of Billy Graham, you know, telling people to repent and come to Christ, uh, which is a biblical gospel. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. You can have eternal life. But there's some things that go along with Billy Graham over his life that we have Caleb Davenport on with us to talk to us about. Now, Caleb is a friend. I've known Caleb for I don't know how many years it's been now. But Caleb, I met going down to the Kentucky Derby. And he's from Ohio. He's from the area. We're not that far from each other. Uh, But I met going down to the Derby, preaching alongside this brother. Uh, He has a heart for the lost, a heart for the Lord. Um, And is the first person that I am aware of that would sing hymns while we were out there Uh, gathered together to go and and preach and so I know many other brothers have taken that as a practice in their own ministry uh, and and maybe they've got it from Caleb or not but I know that was something that I saw you do for the first time so Caleb uh, this is your first time on G220 radio so I want to thank you for coming on welcome you to the program and and ask you to go ahead and share for our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you came to know the Lord
3: well I was uh, raised in a charismatic home I went to a Baptist University and then to a Presbyterian uh, church. <laughs> and, uh, and now the Lord has allowed me to come back to my roots, which is a reformed Baptist church. So um, the Lord has given me the opportunity to see many different backgrounds, many different denominations, many different beliefs. Uh, I graduated from Taft High School in Hamilton uh, when I was 17, uh, went to play college football at Liberty University, uh, got my uh, undergraduate degree in pastoral ministries, and went on to seminary and got my master's in theology and i thought i was going to be a pastor um i always thought that that was what god would open up but god said no not in the way you think you're going to be a pastor um and so i've come to realize it's it's not a matter of the name or the title but it is a matter of uh are you going to uh help other men and disciple other men and help them grow and so i've been a financial advisor for 31 years uh, I've run for state Senate here in Ohio. There's a great chance I'll possibly be doing that again uh, in the not too distant future uh, if the Lord opens that door, and I think we're going to win this time. Uh, uh, there's more details of that, but I, I can't say dogmatically I'm going to do it yet, but the door opens. I definitely want to walk through it. Um, so I you know I was studying Billy Graham in my undergraduate, and I wrote a term paper on him And in my undergraduate, and I I come to the conclusion as a young man, um, uh, not really being as discerning as I should have been that Billy was an evangelist. And it didn't really matter if he hung out with liberals. It really didn't matter if he hung out with the ecumenical movement. What was important is he was getting the gospel out. That's how I looked at him as a young man. But as I've gotten older and I read a book by Ian Murray called Evangelicalism Divided, I began to realize (laughs) there's a whole lot more to this than meets the eye. And it's not just Billy Graham. Uh, I'm probably going to make some people mad, but it's men like John Piper, who believes in final justification. Uh, Richard Baxter, who had some of the kind of same view, the great Puritan. Um, John Wesley, who for the last 10 years of his life abandoned his wife and did not live with her. Um, we, we, could, we could talk about Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote the book, The Cost of Discipleship. Um, But yet he didn't believe in the little resurrection of Christ. He didn't believe in the virgin birth because he was neo-Orthodox. So what God has taught me as I've gotten older is don't ever put your eyes on a man or make him your hero um, because it's a form of idolatry and you're always gonna be let down by that man. He'll let you down every single time. That's why we gotta keep our eyes on Christ and, and make sure that he is the one that we follow first and foremost. Um, because as I said, he's there's, there's going to be some things come your way that you're not going to understand, and you're really going to be disillusioned. And I think that's the term that happens with many people that put their eyes on men as they become disillusioned. So uh, that's just kind of an introduction to where we're going tonight.
1: Yeah, and, and I think this is a, a, a very... Important conversation to have Uh, I know Mike here, Mike King Is in the chat and he said, didn't know how long He's going to be in with us but he Wanted to share some encouragement uh, That we're doing this topic and he also Reached out to me during the week and said Glad that we're tackling this topic Um, Because there are many uh, Individuals Many uh, Baptists for sure Mm -hmm. uh, Who put Billy Graham Up on this pedestal So let's kind of talk about a little bit Early, Because, again, I, this is, is an open kind of book for me. I'm, I'm learning as we go here. Uh, as I've mentioned in my promotion for this program, uh, and I stated, I think, to you guys as well in the side chat, is I don't really have a lot of knowledge on Billy Graham myself. Because mm-hmm. growing up, I, I grew up not saved, but I grew up in church. Uh, didn't get saved until I was 32 years old. But the only thing I remember, we was an independent fundamentalist Baptist church and we went to, and and now I I say this because independent fundamentalist Baptist churches don't really have a high view of Southern Baptist churches (laughs) uh, because they think they're liberal. Right. Um, But yet I remember, and I I didn't know that at the time. I know that now, Um, but we went to a church event on an evening where they were playing on the screen a message from Billy Graham. Mm-hmm. And we went and I sat there with my mom, my dad. You know, I was just a child. I don't really remember much of it because, again, I wasn't interested. I was just kind of forced to go along. Yeah. Um, so I, that was, I knew the name. And then as I became a Christian, I knew the name of Billy Graham um, because, I mean, I don't know. And I don't know how anyone who becomes a Christian doesn't hear the name right. at some right. point. Right. Uh, in their walk. But I never really spend an emphasis or, or time amount of time really listening to his sermons or getting to know what he teaches or, or his theology. Um, right. As my theology began to grow, becoming more Reformed, I tend to lean more towards Reformed uh, individuals. And, and I learn from these guys, and I, I, I've, I've kind of grown from a lot of Reformed, reformed guys. And so I, I really have not don't really have a basis for Billy Graham myself. So I'm but, looking forward to learning some of this, Mike. I don't know about you. What, what do you know about Billy Graham?
2: Yeah. I know a little bit of him. Obviously he's not one I've studied. Um, I tend to study older dead yeah. theologians. Yeah. Just yeah. my proximity to church history, but the, um, you know, there is this uh, Billy Graham. He is a, f- kind of forced to be reckoned with within evangelicalism. And so to think about him, we could probably say he's probably one of the most influential evangelicals. No, no doubt. In the public forum. Yeah. Maybe even more so than Jerry Falwell, you know, being a fellow Liberty graduate myself, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the impacts that they had, In not only politics, and yet he's he still affects with his children, Mm -hmm. um, has kind of this ongoing effect, and so to think about this topic is of essential because he is a known figure, kind of within Christendom, right? Um, and so yeah, this um habit, obviously, I our listeners know i'm a graduate from southern it is the only school that bears his name right as like a school the billy graham school of church ministry or i think it's church ministry and evangelism now they've changed it two or three times since i've yeah uh, started attending but it's the only name that billy graham has allowed to use his name at an academic instit- institution yep so you see the importance not only in Southern Baptist life, but just evangelicalism in general. Mm-hmm. And it makes it important that we understand who he is you yeah. know, in light of what he has done. I think all of us probably share that there are things that he has done that as Reformed Baptist, we would probably say was more pragmatic than biblical. And that should really kind of, start to think about why he does the things he does, some of the history behind it, and the revival and revivalism, another good book by Ian Murray, um, that brings about why he was so influential, both in kind of, we could say spiritual matters, but also with the rise of kind of the political, more majority on the right.
3: Right. Well, the, the thing the thing you've got to understand as I said earlier it you know and because I know I'm gonna make some people mad tonight when I'm gonna say I'm sure I will but it, Billy Graham's not the only one that had these issues as I mentioned these other men uh, you know we could go through the history of time and look at the flaws that all men have these are again icons we would look at And we pull back the cover and we realize again, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was neo-Orthodox, which means he did not believe in the literal resurrection of Christ. But he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship, which is an incredible book and and understood that you've got to give up all if you're gonna follow Christ. And so you'd think how in the world could this guy not believe in the literal resurrection of Christ? It's so confusing. And you walk away realizing it wasn't just Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It was guys like, as I said earlier, again, makes people mad. John Piper, who teaches a final justification. Richard Baxter believed the same thing. John Wesley abandoned his wife for the last 10 years of his life. We could go on and on and on and talk about these flawed men. And what it taught me is they all have their issues. And you've got to keep your eyes on Christ, as we said, and, 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 and realize don't ever put your faith in a man. Because when you do, and someone says some things like, I'm going to say tonight, it's going to shock you and, and you're not ready to hear it. And and uh, the, the thing is, is that's exactly what happened. The church I was attending, um, because what I shared in a 13 minute confession of sin, I was told was out of order. I was told that people can't handle that. And, uh, and I was basically, you know. Although the, the head elder at that time said, that's not happening, but basically church discipline was gonna be applied because I was not gonna be allowed to do the confession of sin anymore because I shocked too many people by what I said. And uh, of course I had to make a decision. And the decision I made was I cannot cont- attend a church that will not allow me to preach the truth or communicate the truth. And so I had to make a difficult decision and my wife and I had attended that church for 10 years, um, but it was a decision I look back upon knowing it was the right one. I may have should have stayed a little longer to, to let people get used to us leaving. But I knew I couldn't stay there any longer. I had to make a decision um, because if you can't speak the truth, if you can't teach the truth, if that's out of order, then what the prophets did, what they communicated, what Jesus communicated, what John the Baptist communicated was all out of order um, because they shocked some people in what they said and, and the, from the truth that they, they communicated. Um, I want to just start out tonight with an introduction to this. What Ian Murray said. I think it's important that we get the the gist of this um, and and how Ian Murray positioned this because I think he did an excellent job of the homework that he had done on it. So I want to read a couple of things before we get into the, I would say the granddaddy of them all that reveals what Graham really believed. So let me just read a a few lines here. The 20th century had already seen its share of a kind of ecumenism before Billy Graham and the other personalities in Murray's book were even born. It was in the 1920s, the giants of Presbyterian orthodoxy, Machen, Brian, McCarty, defended the church against the ecumenicist, Liberal notions of Harry Fosdick and Henry Sloan Coffin, the argument then was largely as it would be 40 and 50 years later. If the church was to be able to engage its culture, it would have to discard its archaic and exclusive Exclusism, insistence on correct confession of doctrine and throw open the doors of fellowship to people of wide variety of sometimes contradictory beliefs, all of whom nevertheless call themselves Christians. In the Presbyterian church, the debate was conducted by formal meetings through democratic elections of moderates or moderators by delegate packed convention halls. Through affirmations and counteraffirmations, it ended when the fundamentalists finally threw up their hands and debouched from the wasteland and formed their own denomination. In Murray's book, the movement is much less dramatic. There were no conventions that decided that to, uh, decided the change would take place. No dramatic exodus. It was more of a slow burn than an explosion. Murray's change, Murray, excuse me, Murray's charge is that Christian leaders in the latter half of the 1900s forgot that the most important question the church must ask is what is a Christian? Not finally who is a Christian, for that is beyond any mortal's knowledge this side of heaven, but what is a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does a Christian look like? What does a Christian believe? Murray weaves a fascinating story of how several Christian leaders blurred that line. Murray has been criticized by some for seeming to ignore the good that some evangelical leaders have done in favor of focusing on their mistakes. Perhaps, but then again, Murray is not writing a comprehensive history. <laughs> he is not writing biographies of these men. He is making an argument that these that the men like these made categorical mistakes that affected evangelicalism in a negative way. I have not seen a review of the book that argues that what Murray actually says is untrue. Probably that is because what he does say is backed up with solid evidence taken from the mouths and pens of men themselves. So, what Murray said about Graham is backed up, but we're going to talk a little bit specifically what we're talking about. Give me just a second. One of the most astonishing antidotes in the book involves an appearance of Billy Graham on the Hour of Power with Robert Schuler. Now, this was in an interview that Billy did. The whole exchange is sadly fascinating but the most important statement was Graham's. This is verbatim how the conversation went. This is Graham speaking. I think that everybody that loves or knows Christ, whether they are conscious of it or not, they are members of the body of Christ. God is calling people out of the world for his name, whether they come from the Muslim world, or the Buddhist world, or the non-believing world, whatever that is. They are members of the body of Christ because they have been called by God. They may not know the name of Jesus, but I think they are saved and they're going to be with us in heaven. Now, there's major problematic theology with that statement. and. Just to name a couple of verses, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Billy quoted that, that sermon you started out with, Ricky. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but through me. Acts 4.12, there's one name given among men under heaven, whereby you must be saved. That name is through Jesus Christ. Billy was saying that he believes there's going to be people in heaven that may not even know the name of Jesus. I think they are saved, and they're going to be in heaven with us. Here is what Ian Murray had to say about that. Here the line between Christian and non-Christian is blurred to the point of non-existence. It wasn't in one cataclysmic movement that Graham moved to making such statements. Murray is quick to point out, for years Graham's organization had been progressively cooperating with non-evangelical groups. In the end though, cooperation with non-evangelicals led to an embrace of non-evangelicals as brothers and sisters in Christ and therefore a confusion of what it means to be a Christian.
1: I think that's um that's something that uh, we were just talking about this in Sunday school uh, as we were wrapping up our our teaching on Roman Catholicism how many of the t- the doctrines from Rome were developed over time and right. then you also begin to see as culture shifts Rome shifts to the culture right and so when you listen to that that video that that we kind of played in the beginning that clip and then some of the older because this is what this is one of the things that I hear from people and again I don't have all the knowledge on Billy Graham but what I hear from people is, well, he started out strong. And then as he got older, you know, maybe it was just old age setting in, but he started to shift in his age. Um, but the I problem think. With that, that, the
3: problem with that, Ricky, he said the same thing in the 1960s in Decision Magazine.
1: Yeah. That's, well, the problem. that's what I was going to say was that I think what it really boils down to ultimately is. A solid mm. understanding of theology because if you have a well ultimately you need to be a, a believer but if you have a solid understanding of theology then as the things come in in the world you're not going to shift or compromise right uh, and move because I, I think another thing that i heard and maybe it's something he was going to bring up later and, and you can correct me if i'm wrong on this but i think i remember around the time when mitt romney was running um mm. there was a statement changed about mormons on their right. website. Right, because again, so it kind of speaks to what you're saying and what Ian Murray is saying is there's this shifting from what is biblical truth that there's only one way. Right. Well, let's kind of shift that over here to make room for others to be brought in, and anyone can be saved whether whether you come from a a Buddhist background and an Islamic background, you can be saved, but it's only through Jesus Christ. That's
3: it. Right, and and, because what he said they may not know the name of Jesus. That's the problem. Um, They can't be saved, Billy, except through the name of Jesus Christ. Because if what you're saying is true, let's bring all of our missionaries home. Um, We don't need to send them out there and share the gospel because they can receive a vision, they can have a dream, because you know, here we go in our reformed theology, if they're elect, God's gonna bring them home. And they don't even need to hear of the name of Jesus. And so that's scary stuff, um, because God not only works through the ends, He works through the means, and I still think the means, absolutely, the Bible teaches it's through Christ, it's through the gospel, it's through understanding that He became our propitiation, He became our atonement, uh, He took our wrath. We've gotta understand those basic things, maybe not to the extent of a full warped theology, but you've gotta understand the basics. You gotta understand the shed blood of Christ because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. You've got to understand those things. And, and Billy, as, as Ian Murray said here, he blurred the lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I want to say this, okay? I'm probably going to, again, make a lot of people mad. I'm not saying Billy's not in heaven, okay? Because I, I can't judge that. Only God can judge that, all right? I believe that with all of my heart. You say, Caleb, wait a minute. You just told us he didn't believe that you got to go through Christ. Well, again, um, I, I want to hope he had a bad day. I want to hope he had bad, just a bad foundation of theology. I want to hope a lot of things because I want to hope and believe Billy is in heaven. I really do want to believe that. Um, but if he is, he's going to get there in spite of his theology. And I think maybe a lot of people will be in heaven in spite of their theology. All right. Because there was a time in their life they put their faith in Jesus Christ Billy did live a holy life. He did live a transformed life. Um, He just had some big major... And what blows me away is he was an evangelist. You would think he would understand soteriology, the doctrine of salvation, better than anyone else. But he seemed to uh, begin to compromise, and I think that's the term here, uh, because I think what happened is Billy wanted a seat at the table. And he wanted to be as effective as he possibly could, to reach as many people as he possibly could. And at that point in time, when you would tell someone, just like it is today, there's only one way you're going to heaven, is through Jesus Christ. Well, that sounds Mm narrow-minded. And when you tell that to millions of people, which Billy oftentimes would be in front of, boy, that really sounds narrow-minded. But if I can throw in here that they will be coming from the non-believing world, they'll be coming from the Muslim world, the Buddhist world, uh, and that they're members of the body of Christ, even though they've never heard of the name of Jesus, well, at that point in time, I, I think I just got my seat at the table, because I no longer am being dogmatic and saying there's only one way to heaven, and it's through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and and But again, Jesus said it, there's a broad road and there's a narrow road. <laughs> the broad road is all the other religions of the world, it's all the other ways to get to heaven through good works, and and really what well, that's what Billy was actually, I think, communicating was he's seen these people's lives, he had seen that they were different, and therefore he believed they were going to be in heaven. And it's a type of universalism. I hate to use that term, but it I think it was. Um, because if you can get to heaven through other means and through Jesus Christ, then it, it's either a works righteousness or you're you're going through some other some other way, which Jesus never gave us room for that. Um, that that he never gave us that alternative. But it really it really was something I think that Billy did because he wanted a seat at the table. He wanted to reach as many people as he possibly could. And so he left this open, that that you you could you could possibly get there without ever hearing the name of Jesus. And I remember when I was going to seminary, this is kind of a popular view that I think he made popular that God could call people to himself without a missionary ever sharing the gospel with them and it would be done through a dream or through a vision or however it would happen and you know even if it was a dream or a vision they still would have to hear the name of Jesus Christ before they could be saved i'm not saying God can't use a dream or a vision but you're going to have to hear the name of Jesus before before you can be saved and so <laughs> that that kind of that kind of explains to me i think i hope it explains to your audience why billy did what he did he wanted to see the table and that's what ian murray says he kind of uh opened himself up and he wasn't the only one um again i'm gonna make a lot of people mad j.i packer did some of the same stuff and we're not going to get into him tonight uh and and john stott we're not going to get into him tonight but billy is not the only one guilty of some of this stuff um but my experience was when i shared this in the church that i was in and I shared basically what Billy said here, and I, it shocked so many people in the church that they said, when I heard the name Billy Graham, I couldn't hear anything else because they were so mad at me, and they were so shocked that what I said could not be true because they basically felt like they knew everything about Billy Graham, and Billy Graham had been around for decades, and everyone has accepting him as the evangelist what got me going on this, Ricky, was when he passed away, I read the newspaper, the Daily Record, and I saw the passing, and everybody was giving him accolades, everybody, the liberals as well as the conservatives. And what came to my mind was that verse when Jesus said, be careful when all manner of men speak well of you, okay? When all manner of men speak well of you. Because I'm I'm sure that they would not have given the same uh, accolades to to men today who stay faithful to the word of God. The liberal press is not going to say these are great. He was a great pastor. They're not going to be doing that. So I, that's what made me start studying these issues and begin to say, okay, what did Billy really believe? And that's when I discovered this this interview with Robert Shuler. And it wasn't just this interview with Robert Shuler. It was the Decision Magazine. It was bringing the liberals into his camp, and 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 not only having fellowship with them, but having them on his board having them as part of his evangelical uh, out, uh, outreach in the crusade, the things that he would do. And as we've talked about, he would actually tell the Catholics that would come to his um, crusades, uh, if they made a decision for Christ or a uh, repentance to, uh, to turn around, or as, as we would call, um, you know, they rededicated their life or whatever they called it, he would tell them to go back to the Catholic church, and, and stay in that Catholic church, which is completely against historical Protestantism. We, we do not believe that as Protestants. We believe they should go to a solid Protestant church that's gonna believe that the five, uh, you know, basic principles of, of grace, um, that we believe that, you know, we're totally depraved, we're unconditionally elected, we, we believe in limited atonement, we believe in irresistible grace, and we believe, we believe in the perseverance of the saints. So those are the things, the, the doctrines of grace that you should be going back to if you if you truly get saved or you truly repent. But Billy was sending them right back to the Catholic churches, they were teaching a work salvation that basically crucifies the Lord afresh every Sunday by the Eucharist and the taking of the bread and the ta- I'm probably making a lot of people mad again, the taking of the wine, because they literally believe it becomes the blood and literally becomes the body of Christ. And they believe that unless you do that. On a continual basis you can't be in heaven uh, the, It's one of the things about the catholic faith that they teach uh this idea that um no one can know for sure they're going to heaven and they believe it's a presumptuous sin to believe you can know you're going to heaven well it's kind of strange because first john 5 13 says these things have been written that you may know that you have eternal life so god mm-hmm. wants us to know he doesn't want us to guess he wants us to know and it's not arrogant It's not proud to know you're going to heaven by his grace. God doesn't want us guessing. He wants us to know. He wants us to have that assurance. As a matter of fact, I've never seen anyone really live a life of faith and sanctification that does not have that assurance. Because if you're always wondering whether you're saved or not, you're always wondering whether or not God's going to let you in. I would think you live in constant anxiety and and, and constant uh, insecurity. Of, of not knowing where uh, you're going to end up. So this is this kind of a surface level of of, of the issue with Graham. And when I shared this at my church uh, that I went to, I was told by the head pastor who now has gone on to glory, and he was a good man and loved the Lord. But he basically said, Caleb, this is out of order. Uh, we cannot let you do the confession of sin anymore. Um, there's too many people that have been shocked by this. And my wife and I knew instantly it was time for us to go. And it kind of flipped on me that I was the one being the proud one when, you know, I just knew I couldn't stay there anymore. And because I was so so shocked myself that this was out of order, that this wasn't basic theology 101. I mean, we're talking about the doctrine of salvation. We're not talking about something that is an obscure doctrine. This is the doctrine of salvation. How do you come to Christ? How do you know you're in Christ? I think it was the pride of these men who responded the way they did, because basically what they were saying is, well, I know everything about Billy Graham, but Billy Graham could not have believed that. And they were so shocked by it that they responded in a negative way. And I believe they're brothers in Christ. I have no doubt in my mind they are, and, and, and they meant well. But, you know, the reality is there's a cost. There's always a cost to tell the truth. And sometimes- Well, I think
1: that's, too, what you were saying there. And speaking of this wanting to have a seat at the table. Um, because Billy Graham definitely had a seat. I mean, he's meeting yeah. with the Pope. He's meeting with presidents. Yeah. Uh, I think, and we mentioned before the show, he was known as America's preacher or America's evangelist. So right. he definitely garnered the seat uh, where he was well known and and welcomed into many of these establishments. Yeah. Where, when you think about it, today you think about the people that surrounded, even just our previous president trump in his cabinet and there were men that would come around him i didn't really see any solid biblically sound reformed individuals now now again i'm not saying that anybody you have to be reformed to be saved we don't believe that here we believe that there are people who come to faith and they grow over time and uh, there are some inconsistencies blessed inconsistencies as one of my old reformed pastors used to say Mm -hmm. um that people have come yeah. to faith in Jesus Christ and they just don't have all these doctrines worked out. And and we're still even growing in our our, our walk as well, learning new things. Yeah. But the point is you don't see those who take strong stands and right. are emphatic and say homosexuality is sin. Right.
3: It's not that, popular. Yeah,
1: abortion it's not popular. is murder. Yeah. Those things aren't gonna get you invited to the White House to be one of the, the people that are speaking in direct. Conf, or uh, uh, constant discussions with the president because you're gonna take heat and right. most politicians you said you were planning on running you, you ran already for Senate you know a little bit about politics. most politicians yeah honestly will say what they got to say to get into offices right. and cater to certain individuals but then when it comes time where it's like they got to make those if I if I endorse or take the endorsement of these people, Right. that's going to limit me from having these support of, of even right. some conservative individuals. Right. Right. So and, and Yeah. And that's,
3: that's, that's the one thing you've got to decide before you get in. And, and, and this is another time for another uh, an hour of a radio show, Ricky, the church has done a horrible job of getting involved in politics. They have, they have basically said, that's a dirty job. We're going to leave it to the lost people. And look at what we got because of that. Um, we've ended up with some really bad politicians. We've ended up with some people that don't have a moral background. We've ended up with some people of no integrity. We've got what we've got. Uh, When we got Bill Clinton as a president, we got what we got. And from that point on, I can basically go back to that point when he got elected and see all of this beginning to run downhill. Because up until that point, we didn't really have a president that was that outwardly, admittingly the, the sexual... Uh, affair that he had and got into the gory details of it. Um, so the the reality is, is that uh, that's when things, I think, began to go downhill. And But, it, you know, the, the, the issue is, and I'm going to step on some toes again, John MacArthur, who just recently went through this with Newsom in California, for the first time told a government official, no, I'm not going to obey you. When they shut his church down, And he rightfully so, he did the right thing. Um, But up until that time, John was a Romans 13 guy, followed Romans 13, you obey no matter what, and John finally realized it's not no matter what, because we must obey God rather than men. If a man tells you to shut your church down, you don't do that, because the gospel is more important than what they believe. Now again, for the first week or two or three until we found out the pandemic And what was going on, I understand. But about that fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth month, we all knew this isn't what they told us it was. And what got John to open his church was people were coming to his church, and they were listening to him outside. And I remember one morning, I was listening to John preach, and it was on television. He's preaching to empty pews. John, you could tell, was so mad as he was preaching. He was angry because his people couldn't come in. And that's what got to him. He went and talked to his people and his people said, John, we're Christians. We come to church. This is what we do. And that so convicted John that he said, okay, we're opening up our church. So it was John's people that kind of flipped John on Romans 13. Now, John would still say, no, I still believe you do what Romans 13 says. But yet he himself defied the governor um, and was willing to go to prison and take fines because that's what he was threatened with. And I think he's changed a lot on this. And and so I, I'm, I'm glad that John's doing that. I'm, but John is doing that more out of conviction with Romans 13. What Billy Graham did, I think, was more out of convenience and more of having a seat at the table, as I said, and more of trying to be more inclusive. And that term we use, the ecumenical movement. That's where it really began. And which, to me, is what laid the foundation for the seeker-sensitive movement. The seeker-sensitive movement had a foundation that I think was laid with what Graham was doing. And then the seeker-sensitive movement came along and that basically said, let's become all things to all people, and if we've got to entertain them to Jesus, that's what we'll do, whatever it takes. Bill Hybels finally realized, you know, this didn't work. Willow Creek understood it didn't work. Uh, We may have made churchgoers, but we didn't make disciples. And that's exactly what happened with Billy Graham's crusades. People might have made decisions, but I don't think a lot of people really got saved. And here's why I say this. They followed these people in Billy Graham crusades many years later. And this statistic, I'm to give you, I hope is wrong, but this was the statistic I understood. And if someone's got better statistics, I'm willing to listen to them. Because Billy Graham went to Dawson Trotman, who was the head of the Navigators at that point in time. And he said, these people are not becoming transformed believers. They're not becoming disciples. And Dawson, I need you to help me to help disciple these people. Well, what they found out was that one in a thousand of those decisions at the Billy Graham Crusades, 20, 30, 40 years later, were actually still living the life for christ okay um i want to hope those statistics are wrong I, I would love to believe that no it's maybe 30 out of 100 but yet by their own by their own uh admittance they they didn't see people's lives change because decisions or a decision doesn't make a christian uh and i and i'm not a, I mean, i'm going to say that I make a lot of other people mad i'm not saying the altar call is wrong but you can be very manipulative with an altar call, very emotional in an altar call. Um, because you can make a decision tonight, but that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit came into your life and you truly repented and you turned to Christ. What's going to prove that is that you're persevering. Well,
1: I think that's, that's another thing there. Is, as Mike also mentioned earlier about pragmatism, and as, as you were talking too, when you get this You know i mean you go back to finney and the anxious bench Mm -hmm. and then Uh anxious bench and then you've you know you've got billy sunday you've got uh billy graham then coming in um and mike king says he'll say it: the altar call is wrong (laughs) so i'll say it
2: i think it's wrong
1: but what you got is this pragmatism where you have um you're starting to see especially he's having these crusades and and again as you were speaking this emotional appeal It, it can really wear on someone. You go, maybe you're feeling down, you, you get encouraged. Yeah. You start to see other people walking forward. So you walk forward. I, right. I I use this as an example. It's an example. I went to a Pentecostal church one time, and I was with this the girl that I was dating at the time. Uh, we were young. We were teenagers, and I went with my grandma. She was Pentecostal. And the pastor was telling everybody, come up. He was going to lay hands on people. and and, what, and I grew up in a Baptist church, so this to me already was weird. I'm like, what is going on? And so this girl that I was dating, she goes up with my grandma and he comes around and he's touching people and they're falling over. And she falls over and she comes back. And I'm like, did you feel something? She said, no, but the person next to me fell over. So I fell over. Yeah. yeah. And again, it's that whole kind of mentality yeah. where yeah. you see people moving forward and then you're OK, you're moved. So then as we talked about wanting to to reach more people. I don't think everybody's intentions are always wrong in wanting to reach more people. No, their motives they, you know,
3: are their, motives, their yeah. motives are not wrong. It's their methods.
1: Yeah, and so then they 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 yeah. see this pragmatism. They say, "Oh, this is this is working. We, we got thousands of people coming forward at these crusades, thousands and thousands, and and so therefore we're we're making all these disciples. Um, right. And really, again." the numbers are probably lower than that. Mike, I think you wanted to say something too.
2: Yeah. I want to go back. You mentioned it. I think it's important. I want to go back to it about Jay Packard, John Statt. Mm-hmm. I'm going to mm-hmm. add, we need to add Martin Lowe Jones in this yeah. conversation. No. no. Ian Murray is an assistant yeah. to Lowe Jones. So he's yeah. very familiar with this. Yep. Um, But I just want to look and consider even Billy Graham's life. We're going to go with Lowe jo- Lloyd Jones. Yep. Because Lloyd Jones stood up. He right. stood up at a conference yeah. with John Stott mediating it yeah. and unprecedentedly John Stott uh, responded to his message, which was unheard of in the meeting. And mm-hmm. that ruined the friendship between Jaya Packard and John Stott, mm-hmm. Jay Packard, John Stott friends with Martin Lloyd Jones. And when you think about it, Lloyd-, Lloyd Jones had a revival in Wales. Mm-hmm. Westminster Church in mm-hmm. London experienced a revival, mm-hmm. a true revival, mm-hmm. a revival where people came together and he stood firm. He wouldn't go on stage with Billy Graham. He wanted nothing unless, to do with, yeah. Unless, he Billy, to do with yeah. unless Billy Graham would not. Right. Have liberals on the right. stage with them, right? He recognized yeah. what you were saying in the Murray quote that yeah. blurring of what is Christianity, right? I think that's when we think about that. Yeah, I think that's a very important point. This is a point that R.C. Sproul made, yeah, against evangelicals and Catholics together. One right. that the president of Southern Seminary, Albert Mueller, at the time endorsed right and he's backed off his endorsement i think it was a good decision but it did show i think kind of a a carelessness right maybe even the same with it and people have their opinions of, of um dr Mueller. i res- you have right to your opinion it may be wrong but you have a right to it but right. to to think about i think that's the important parts when we consider Billy Grahams and a contemporary like Lloyd-Jones and yeah. the impact of their ministries.
3: Right. Westminster
2: right. Chapel, for as far as I know, is still a very conservative Baptist yeah. church.
3: Yeah. Look, Martin Lloyd-Jones wanted nothing to do with Billy Graham, which should have been a huge, it should have been a huge siren to the evangelical yes. world. But they didn't, they, they continued on. I think the thing that's important to understand how uh, Billy Graham got his start, it was through the Hearst newspapers who said, puff Graham, basically promote him. These were ungodly lost people. Now I know God can use lost people. I understand that to bring forth his means. But it seemed like that what happened with Graham is he became very successful, very quick, very fast. And he had—I mean, Billy was a great orator. I mean, I, you, you listen to him preach; you, you're almost spellbound by what he says. Um, and and there there are many of them that that sermons that he preached that people could get saved through his through his messages. I'm not saying he didn't preach good sermons; he did. A lot of them were solid. But Billy was an Arminian. That's what you've got to realize. He did—he was not reformed. He did not believe in the doctrines of grace. As a matter of fact, um, Gordon Clark. At Wheaton tried to help Billy understand reformed teaching through the doctrines of grace, and Billy wanted nothing to do with it. Uh, Billy, Billy basically bristled against that. And uh and and if you listen to that message he preached a while ago, he says, you could determine your future. <laughs> Even in that, I thought, oh, okay, Billy, I see <laughs> you can hear it in all of his messages. You can do this, you can do that. You can't do anything unless the spirit is drawing you. And that's what Luther realized in the bondage of the will that unless God changes your will to believe, you can't come to Christ. I am not saying Arminians can't be saved and aren't saved. They are. My dad's an Arminian, he's saved. There are many people that are Arminians that are saved. But I think we're all born Arminians. And I think as we grow in our sanctification, we begin to realize we didn't choose christ we begin to realize it's all of his grace it's all of his mercy we begin to understand anything above hell is a privilege that none of us deserve heaven that none of us i always hear people say well that's unfair that god would bring some to salvation and others i say look god doesn't know any of us eternal life if we all got justice we'd all go to hell and that flips the, the whole thing when it comes to reformed theology but Billy did not believe in Reformed theology. So the altar call and the, what Finney did and a lot of those things would naturally go into all of that. It would naturally be a process that they would call people to make a decision. And the thing is, is that Jesus was very clear. You don't, you don't go to war until you count the cost. You don't build a house until you count the cost. Now I'm gonna share something with you that, that you guys never experienced, but I did experience it at the Billy Graham crusades. And I know that because I went. When I did that confession of sin in my church, I was confessing my sin, that I did not call Billy out on this a long time ago. Because I was part of the Billy Graham crusades. I was one of the counselors. A lot of people aren't aware that in a Billy Graham crusade, the hundreds of people that began to walk forward were counselors. They were not repented people coming to Christ. It's what you call priming the pump. Mm to get people to see others going forward, well, then, golly, look at all these people that are make. God is, it's my, I gotta go. That's that psychological thing, Ricky, you were talking about. If you start speaking in tongues, well, then it must be okay for me to start speaking in tongues. Uh, you got explained in the spirit, it must be okay. This must be what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. So therefore, it begins to escalate. And, and I think that's what was happening many times—the Billy Graham Crusades. People would prime the pump by the counselors going forward. I was one of those counselors, by the way, in the early '90s. Um, and and I look back upon it, and I realized I probably shouldn't have done that. I, I I probably should not have been a part of that. But when you grow up with altar calls and you 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 don't really see anything. I mean, I went to Liberty, and Mike, you may not have had them there, but they had when I was there. Yep. And and and. Um, I mean that after the fourth or fifth, uh, just as I am, you know, everyone's ready to go forward because you're tired. (laughs) You you just want this thing to somehow come to a conclusion. Um, But, and again, I'm not saying God cannot, God can use a donkey. He can use whatever method he wants to use. I just say be aware of the manipulative uh, process that can happen in an altar call. Because I think a lot of people have been manipulated. I'm not saying people haven't come to Christ through an altar call, Um, but yet uh, you can also be very much manipulated through it.
2: Yeah, I think that's important. Now, when I went to Liberty, um, they would play some modern worship song over and over again. Yeah, which is kind of easy for them to do. You know, you just it's all the same words, anyways.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, you don't have to call out verses, but yeah, you still have it. I think that's. You see the effects really of Finney and call into question even the Second Great Awakening, which will probably offend a lot of our um, IFB friends if they already aren't offended by things we say um, with it. And it's even the direct connection you've mentioned, Wesley, with how some of Wesley's theology. Well, he was, a, is, he was a flaming Arminian. Whitfield,
3: yeah. Whitfield tried to help him, and Wesley basically just attacked him over and over again.
2: Yeah. Uh,
3: and he stayed you in our for all his life.
2: Yeah, and you have in England with the Keswick theology that yeah. also connected with um, Wesley, the let go, let God, if you don't understand that, yeah. uh, the Keswick uh, yeah. the theology. And One of your he, listeners pointed out
3: the burned-out district. That's what happened to Finney when Finney yeah, was done. That was burned out because all these people were disillusioned because they yeah. st- their emotions were stirred, but they weren't
2: changed. And, and then and, you get yeah. Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, um, dispensationalism. I'm sorry, did I oh. offend anybody? getting <laughs> on that. Careful, on Ricky. The... you stepped on the holy grail, man. Oh, we've we stepped on that many times. Um, and I think – and this is why it's important to study not yes. only more modern preachers like Billy yeah. Graham, yeah. but to study church history in general.
3: Absolutely, Mike. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to talk about that just briefly. Church – people – let me give you an example. There's a Lombardian monk that made the comment or made the statement that – um uh, the, the atonement of Jesus Christ is sufficient for all, but is only efficient for the elect. Now, what is wrong with that statement? Because I've heard people say that's reformed, that's in the reform camp, that was accepted at the Council of Dort, and it's within the reform camp. And Billy and they would say, they would say men like R.C. Sproul and John MacArthur would agree with it because it's on their website. I said you're out of your mind. What they're trying to do is soften limited atonement. Because they're giving you you a means without a final result. If Jesus' atonement was for everyone, then everyone would get saved. Because God doesn't do something with the means to have no purpose. He doesn't work that way. So it sounds good. It sounds slick. It sounds all these things. But the atonement of Jesus Christ was for the elect. It's for those whom he's called to himself to salvation. Not one drop of our Lord's blood is going, was spilt, didn't have a purpose for it. And that purpose was to save those who are his sheep whom he's called to himself. But I've had people, and I won't mention these evangelists, Ricky, you know them, that, that said this was within the Reformed camp, and it was on John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul's website, I said, you didn't get beneath the surface, understand. John was saying that he agreed with that to get these Baptists off his back because he preached so hard on election and said that only way you're going to go to heaven if God has elected you. And they would say, well, don't you believe that, that the atonement of Jesus Christ is sufficient for all, but only uh, efficient for the elect? He said, okay, I'll let you have that one. You'll leave me alone. And so he he basically said, okay. I'll, I, and then Sproul was the same way. He said, that's been said for a long time. He said, but... You need to understand it doesn't get to the heart of the matter because the heart of the matter is the the atonement of Christ was for his called out believers. It's not a universal call to salvation for everybody or everyone would get saved. But that's an example of people that don't study church history, Mike. That's an example. So if you don't study church history, you would think, well, that that's got to be in the reform camp. And it's only efficient for the that sounds great, but it can't be true because. It's 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 an oxymoron. You you can't have you can't have a means without a purpose, and the purpose being the elect whom God has called. And that was not accepted in Reformed camp. It never was. But people say, "Oh yeah, yeah, it was." We accepted the Council of Dort. No, they did not accept it. They had it in there, but they never accepted it as part of Reformed theology. And that's part of knowing church history, which is what you're talking about, Mike, and discerning. Again, where did this statement come from? It came from a Lombardian monk, a Catholic Lombardian monk who came up with that statement many years ago before the Reformation ever happened. And the argument is this. Well, then you're saying the atonement is deficient. No, I'm not saying that. Of course it's not deficient. Well, then it must be sufficient. No, that's, you're not getting it right there either. It's neither deficient or sufficient for everyone. It is only for the elect. The, the, the atonement, the blood of Jesus Christ is only for the called out ones whom he's bringing to himself. If you don't believe that, then you're teaching a type of universalism, which, again, if you don't believe in limited atonement, which is what people always have a problem with when it comes to these five doctrines of grace. And by the way, Calvin didn't come up with these. They was attributed to Calvin, but Calvin didn't come up with them. Uh, I believe in those five points because the Bible teaches them, not because Calvin attributed to him. So it's it's extremely important, Mike, what you're saying to know church history, but very few people do.
2: Mm-hmm. Very
3: few people know Orthodox Christianity and understand historical Christianity, and so they they start spouting all these things, and you know, and and they don't have a framework or a foundation of church history. And I know two great. Godly evangelists, two guys I love dearly. They never studied church history to the extent that they should have start uh, accusing me of things I didn't do and say, but we won't get into that tonight. Um, but again, it's extremely important that you have that foundation, and I couldn't agree with you more.
2: Yeah, and Go ahead, Mike. I think you notice too in study churches, especially when you study heretics, um, yeah. we like to pick on one in particular Arius, though Pelagius gets his share, um, right? Ali- Arius wasn't like a dumb person, and and you know he's trying to be biblical, and I'm probably sure right. Billy right. Graham would say the same. Yeah, but what you see and what I think you have it here is that they're able to capture. That's the the thing they're able to capture heretics if they want to become good heretics know how to communicate now, no. I think good pastors i mean good pastors also are able to communicate and i think that's just for probably yeah. the devil's purpose you get oh, really no. good orators, or even in areas he's singing songs he's developing songs yeah. luther understood this what is Luther doing early in the reformation? He's writing songs. He's right. publishing tracks. Right. Um and to think about even in Billy Graham's situation kind of it to bring cuz what the show's about is he was able to capture people. Right. And to bring their emotion, even the clip from the beginning of the show. Yeah, yeah. It got me
3: emotionally involved emotional. listening to it. Yeah. yeah.
2: You see a girl, you see a lady, yeah. she's crying. Yeah. You see their things. And I think yeah. good preaching brings emotion and yeah. the gospel. Really was of- one
3: of the best, Mike. He was one of yeah. the best doing that. No doubt about it. And I'm not, I, I don't want to say, I, I want to believe people came to Christ through his ministry. I'm going to believe, I'm, in fact, I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did because God doesn't use any of us because of us, but in spite of us. That's what I've come to understand. Through all these men that I studied and all their flaws and studying myself, I realize I'm a flawed man. We all are flawed men. And and God doesn't use any of us because of us, but in spite of this. And I think that's what happened with Billy. But we do have to have sound doctrine. And we do got to get back to this concept. Of where do we blur the lines? We cannot just say it's all good and fine. And we're all just going to love each other and sing Kumbaya and not keep each other accountable. We have and to, just I think, as
1: I am. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think the one important thing to take away uh, that you've already mentioned there, Caleb, is we cannot put any man on right. a pedestal to the no. degree where when somebody says, hey, that, that teaching that they're, they're teaching on dot, 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 whatever the doctrine is they're teaching on is in error right. or it's wrong, right. our response should never be that's Billy Graham. He would never be wrong. Or that's John right. MacArthur. He would never be wrong. Right. That's R.C. Sproul. Right. He would never be right. wrong. Right. Or that's John Calvin. He would never be wrong. Right. Um, because we're all be. Baptist here, and he baptized babies. We we don't agree with that, but it doesn't right. mean we take this. We 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 take this individual and we put them on a pedestal where we can't examine right. what they taught or what they believed. <laughs> Let God shape. be true and
3: every man a liar. Yeah let god be true and every man a liar and that's what we do ricky
1: yeah and if our response is that way then we need to do a self-examination absolutely um and 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 i know this is hard um i i've said this in when i've been when i've taught uh and even in our sunday school class like hey if i say something wrong come and tell me uh if you think i'm wrong in something by the scriptures and and you want to show me through the scriptures where you think i'm wrong please come and tell me but i do recognize and understand that in our flesh at times we don't like to be corrected. Right. But the right the right type of of uh, um the, the to be humble mm-hmm. in it requires us to not get defensive when right. our favorite teachers brought up or somebody's yeah. bringing something to us but say, "You know what? Let me let me look at that what you're saying and let me evaluate that. Let me see if maybe you're right." Right, you know, because they right. could be, or it could be just you know a miscommunication, whatever it could be. But right. our first response should be, and it's it's not always easy. That's what I'm saying. It's not always easy to do that. Yeah. But our first response should be, let me examine that first before right. I get mad at this person telling me something about myself or about my favorite team. Yeah, and that's exactly what
3: happened in my experience. They, they, you know, they, they you know, they, they got mad, they got angry. They accused me of getting mad and getting angry in my pride. Well, that's exactly what was happening with them, but they flipped it on me. And yeah, I got frustrated that my leaders thought this was out of order. And it, and, and and basically communicating what I just read to you and communicating Acts 4.12 and communicating, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but through me. And communicating that we should bring all of our missionaries home if what Billy is saying is true. And I basically said to them, "There's no other gospel, guys. We 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 don't have any other gospel, and it's got to come through Christ." And they just could not believe that Billy would say that. They they were you know, and so yeah, and it it was it was a situation where I realized it was it was not I could no longer. And the sad thing was, one of the people that were in the church, they told me they asked us to stay, and I said well, we can't. I said they're one to impose church discipline upon me for communicating these truths. And I can't do that. And she said, Caleb, they're simply trying to control you. And that's when I recognized, you know, there was some truth in what she was saying. I was, uh, the blame fell on me that other people, a couple of people left the church not too long after I did. I got the blame for that, that I'm causing disunity and that I slandered this other elder about some things he believed in, which this was a reformed church and he did not believe in the doctrine of limited atonement which is very confusing to me. How can you be an elder in a reformed church and not believe in the doctrine of limited atonement? Well, I think what happened is the the head elder, who, as I said, has passed away now, believed he could bring him along and he could get him to eventually see that. Well, the thing is, that's very confusing to guys like me. I'm supposed to follow him in a reformed church, (laughs) and yet he doesn't believe in, in the five basic principles of the doctrines of grace. And so it's it's and I was like, well, wait a minute, I can't follow that anymore. And the Billy Graham issue kind of pu- push it over the top because he was one of the people who said, don't say that of Billy Graham. That's just an aberration. He really didn't believe that. He didn't really hold to these these tenets, and he got very angry and very mad. Yeah. So although he would say he didn't get angry and mad, but I would say he probably at least got to the point where he said it was out of order. And basically said, you know, we, we got to bring some church discipline to Caleb. So,
1: yeah. Well, I don't know all the ins and outs of the situation in which you're speaking of. Um, I don't really want to obviously get into that no, no, program. No, no. Uh, but we do want to point people to examine these things with Billy Graham's teachings. Um, again, I think that there are probably men that came to faith under Billy Graham's yeah. preaching because. Yeah. There are many times where I've, I've seen some of these clips. Again, I don't know a lot about Billy Graham uh, personally, theologically, but there are clips that I've seen where he has said the gospel. Even in the beginning, he says, repent. He says, come to Christ. Right. right? So God, as we know, um, can save people. I've, I've heard of, again, this is just going off of what, what people have said to me. I've heard people tell me they've got saved in Joel Osteen's church, not necessarily by Joel Osteen, but sitting in a Sunday school class where somebody was teaching and sharing the gospel. And you no, think, how really? could that happen? But yeah. the gospel still saves and then praise the Lord. He usually through sanctification process brings people out of those right. situations. So Caleb, we are a little past time, but I'm going to yeah. give you the last word. Anything else you would like to say before we close it out? Well, to back
3: up what you're saying, and I want to read this Philippians chapter. It's the only fitting we end with a, with the Bible. <laughs> Philippians chapter one, verses 15 and following. Paul said, some to be sure are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in this I rejoice. And I think that's the bottom line, guys. It's the gospel that saves people. It is not your pure holy life. It's the gospel. And yes, you should live a godly holy life, but that's not what's going to save people. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we always got to remember that.
1: Yeah, amen. So, Caleb, I want to thank you for coming on the program uh, with us this week, talking about Billy Graham uh next week on g220 radio our topic is not a relationship but a religion and we have the original natty p nathaniel porter is going to be with us next week we're going to talk about that uh and then followed by that we're going to go back into the 1689 chapter 27 i mean we got this whole month planned out so you're going to want to stick around and join us because following that we're going to have dude Ronomy. I don't know if you've seen the website. Uh, it's out there, not website, but the, well, maybe they do have a website, but the Facebook page, and also he's uh, the author of a book, uh, Essentials. It's a uh, sort of a primer on, on biblical theology, mm-hmm. um, and so we'll have uh, Philip Michael on the program for that. And at the end of the month, we're going to have a, it's a roundtable discussion. Uh, we've got six guys will be on the show, that's including me and Mike, and we'll have a roundtable discussion. I think we're going to call it Coffee Talk. Kind of as if just just some men get around and discuss a bunch of different topics. So we've got the whole month of November planned out. Hope you will tune in with us next week at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time when Natty P comes back and joins us uh, on G220 Radio. Until then, God bless and good night.